right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome. Rock Chalk Sports Talk on a Tuesday. Happy uh, Memorial Day weekend. Extra, Extra day never makes you feel better on the way back in. Right? Like they reward you and say, here's an extra day off. Why Why we get the day off? I don't, you know what I mean? Like, yet yeah, Memorial Day is for the troops, but they give the day off to everybody, therefore not highlighting the troops the way they should. I think only troops should get the day off on Mondays and their families. And the, if, doctors are, at the doctors of the troops and the teachers of the troops. What if you're related to the troops? That's family. I just. I know, but like, how related do you have to be? Immediate. Like my aunt was in the navy. No, no, no. Does that count? No. My grandpa. You have to have a doctor's note. You have to have an, a troop's a note. A troop's <laughs> note. Say so I'm going to a troop memorial, or I'm going to go celebrate with my aunt. She's got to write you a note. I went to the World War One museum this weekend. Never been there in Kansas. It was actually really cool. Did you really? Yeah. Why? Had a lot going on Memorial Day. Had a bunch of like old tanks, helicopters out front. What'd you learn? I learned about World War One. What do you think I learned? No, about? like give me a nugget. Give us a nugget. Um, did you know Hitler was actually like an officer in World War One? Really? And that is part of why he went so crazy. Well, take a guess. Um, that is why he part of why he went so crazy because after World War One, Germany was so downtrodden economically because of all the sanctions imposed on them because of World War One. Everybody like basically find them. And he kind of led the charge of like, this isn't our fault. We didn't do it, so we want to uprise against it. I've never been much of a Hitler fan myself. No, neither have I. Personally. Bad guy. Yeah. I think we can say that safely. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't like to cast uh, aspersions on any one individual, but that guy certainly rubbed me the wrong way. Hey, big weekend for KU football. Or should I say Buffalo football? I don't really know who is getting the, the, the raw end of the deal here. But KU landed a bunch of transfers, formerly of Buffalo. In fact, six total. Six total players following Lance Leipold and his coaching staff from Buffalo to Kansas. Most notably, offensive lineman Mike Nowitzki, no relation to the big German from Dallas, which is a little uh, redundant, um... Mike Nowitzki, 6'5", 295. He was a first-team all-max selection uh, at center. Started every game the last two years. Will be a redshirt junior. And you would figure not just an immediate starter for the Kansas offensive line, but uh, their best offensive lineman, considering they had the worst offensive line in the history of mankind, or at least the history of organized football last season. Uh, so that's a nice plus. It's a, it's a center, you know what I mean? It's like uh, it's like the pinky finger 
of offensive linemen, but nonetheless, an important position. They're all important. He's going to be pretty good. He's going to be your starter at center. Defensive tackle Eddie Wilson, 6'4", 325, also started every game for Buffalo the last two years. 21 tackles, one sack in a short season last year, just seven games for Buffalo. He was a third-team all-max selection and uh, was a three-star recruit coming out of high school. Nowitzki was just a two-star recruit coming out of high school. And both these guys had a lot of interest on the open market when they announced they were entering the transfer portal. There's a lot of other names. Michael Ford, offensive lineman, uh, probably going to compete for a starting job at one of the tackle positions. Uh, Ronald McGee, been a, a backup for two years, but he played every game for Buffalo the last two years at defensive tackle. Rich Miller, same thing, played every game as a backup linebacker. Uh, the last two years, special teamer as well. And then a wide receiver Trevor Wilson, who was a redshirt freshman last year, played in every game. Season numbers aren't that impressive. 16 catches, 319, three touchdowns. But uh, he kind of had a breakout game versus Ball State at the end of the year. Six catches, 118, one touchdown. He had a lot of offers as well coming out of high school from Tallahassee. He was a three-star prospect, had offers from Oregon, Cincinnati, Texas Tech, Maryland. So, He's another intriguing guy. I would say of these six guys that are transferring over from Kansas, I would think Mike Nowitzki, Eddie Wilson, offensive lineman, defensive tackle, you probably just go ahead and slot in as starters from day one. Like, DeJon Terry leaves a massive hole there. And even if DeJon Terry were there and you go get this Eddie Wilson kid, you've got one dude who's maybe proven it a little bit more at the collegiate level as opposed to just being this very tantalizing project player, which... Not to say that Dijon Terry didn't have any substance to it, but he was still young and raw and hadn't really proven the... We were excited about him maybe becoming a, a potential all-conference type player. Eddie Wilson's somebody who's going to come in and you just feel confident going to get the job done. Uh, Trevor Wilson's the other one as well. Um, I know Michael Ford, the O-lineman, he may uh, be a potential starter or maybe he'll be an automatic starter. I don't know. I don't know what the, the translation is from Buffalo uh, backup to Kansas backup. Like, what's the conversion rate there? Trevor Wilson, speedster, though, like track star at a high school, I'd imagine he's going to come in and play some sort of role offensively. So you get six guys, six guys from Buffalo, four of them you almost assume are going to play. And again, Rich Miller, Ronald McGee, linebacker, defensive tackle, they didn't start, but they played in every game as backups the last two years. Again, what's the conversion rate? We'll find out. But these aren't end-of-the-bench type players yeah. that Lance Leipold's bringing with Well, I them. just want to say this about the conversion thing. We're not talking about the jump from, you know, college basketball where Charlie Moore's coming from Cal, a bad Cal team, to Kansas. Kansas basketball, a blue blood. We're talking about the conversion of a Mac school that has been better than Kansas has over the last three years. We're talking about a Kansas school that, you know, has lost multiple games, what, three games last decade to FCS opponents? So if you're good enough to even play on Buffalo, Buffalo better than those FCS opponents. Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what KU is going to be the favorite against against South Dakota. You mean you don't know what the spread's going like, to be? Yeah, I don't I don't know what the spread's going to be. But you single can convince digits. me it's single digits, right? Yeah. But if these if Buffalo players were playing against South Dakota, I don't know why I said Buffalo players. If Buffalo was just playing South Dakota, they'd be probably double digit favorites. Yeah, probably probably so. Six players coming in. Four of them are probably going to play. There's a seventh player that KU added yesterday. Now, technically, he is a former Virginia Tech player. Mm. 
Virginia Tech defensive end Zion DeBose. Is this the player to be named later in the Ryan Willis Khalil Herbert trade? Honestly, I don't think the return on interest is good enough. With the season that <laughs> so Khalil Herbert else had, back eventually. yeah, you get the best year of, of Ryan Willis. This is somebody, but I still feel like we're getting fleeced in this deal. He was a redshirt junior this past season with Virginia Tech, but this is going to be his fifth collegiate season, and I think it's going to be his last collegiate season. I don't know the math there. Um, But he had previously committed to Buffalo as a grad transfer in March. So he never actually played for Buffalo, but he grad transferred, commits to Buffalo. Then all of a sudden, Lance Leipold's like, I'm out of here. He says, me too. I'll go to Kansas with you. So that's seven players with former Buffalo ties that committed to Kansas over the weekend. What if... Okay, and I know this is purely speculative. What if Lance Leipel were accused of tampering with himself while at Buffalo? Right? Because you've got seven guys. I don't know if there's there's any precedent for this, but you've got seven guys. What if Lance Leipel was saying, you guys don't want to go to Buffalo, do you? It's like, wait a minute, you're at Buffalo. He's like, yeah, not for long, though. Give it a couple months. I'm going to land that Kansas job. You guys, I got room in the back seat. You guys are coming with me. Now he goes back and he self-imposes imposes sanctions on himself. But yeah, how do they Buffalo, do that? Who gets in trouble yeah, there? He doesn't get the sanctions at Kansas. He just does it at Buffalo. Right, because he yeah. was recruiting against Buffalo. But he wasn't at Kansas, so you can't punish mm-hmm. Kansas, right? Because you'd say, wait a minute, this guy was doing something before we even hired him. How would we have known? Does it make you scared that Lance Leipold will be super successful, then do the same thing and take all of KU's players <laughs> to his next job at, I don't know, where, where, what's the step up? Tennessee. Yeah, it's been so long yeah. since somebody's had success at Kansas and used it to springboard onto the next job that it's impossible to know what a successful coach at Kansas does yeah. after Kansas. No, just, I don't know, like a middle-tier SEC school, right? You just go up there. Uh, Arkansas? Sure. That yeah. seems like it's a big yeah. step. That is huge. a big Okay, maybe not SEC. Um, Vanderbilt. Is that that big of a step up, though? Like, if you have Kansas rolling, you're really going to Vanderbilt. I don't know. Coastal Carolina. <laughs> you think that's a step? Well, 2-0 head-to-head. Maybe. Um, but whatever it is, no. I do not worry about that at all. I know well, what he joking. needs to do, what he needs to do is do it like all the other Kansas coaches, which is either completely alienate your players or be <laughs> so bad that you never coach again, therefore making it impossible to take any players with you. Because we've never really had to worry about, oh... Turner Gill or Charlie Weiss or David Beatty or Les Miles, they're taking all these players with them. I mean, players leave, but they can't follow them anywhere. We've never really had to deal with that. Like, if I'm Buffalo today, I'm pissed. Yeah. Like, we have anybody left? Do we yeah. have anyone left no, over they're like, from the Lance Leipold there? We could have been a top team this year. Uh, but no, I do not worry about that. You know why you don't worry about that if you're Kansas? Because if Lance Leipold is good enough to take another job, at that point he'd be 60 years old. If he is good enough to make a jump at 60 years old somewhere else after having success here— that means things went pretty well. Yeah, what about, even A, what does it matter if he's 60 years old? How about just the first part? If, if he's good enough to have to go get another job anywhere else. Somebody brought that up to me when KU was sort of down to like the, the finalists for the job, when it was Lance Leipold and Jeff Munkin, and I don't know who, who else was out there. Uh, Willie Fritz. Was he in the uh, – or uh, Skip yeah, Holtz? Yeah, Fritz, Munkin, Skip Holtz. They was, they, somebody said to me, well, they need to take whoever's going to be here the, the longest, whoever's the youngest, because, you know, if you if, if this guy's going to have success and then be gone in five years, then that's not, and you're just turning it over again. I'm like, wait a minute. So you can't just, you can't, you can't just scoff at the first part. Well, if he has success and then this happens, I go, wait a minute, let's focus in on that line first. If he has success, 
then, well, first off, it would be the most successful hire Kansas has ever made, regardless of how, I mean, the most successful hire in the past 12 years, regardless of how long he's here. Furthermore, if the guy has success, you are then hiring from a more qualified pool of coaches. Therefore, you're in a better position than you were when you hired him. So, yeah, I don't really think that's going to be a problem. But uh, it is sort of interesting now that you're getting these guys in and it's a different feeling. And I'm and I mean that seriously. It's justified in feeling different than when Charlie Weiss came in and brought uh Dane Christ from Notre Dame and brought in Jake Heaps from BYU and brought in all these JUCO all-stars. That was different, even though we were very excited about that. I mean, Dane Chris didn't have success at Notre Dame. And he was a quarterback who was kind of gotten... Jake Heaps was, I think, like an all-freshman... What, what conference was BYU in at the time? They were in the WAC at the time. Yeah, it was like all-freshman conference, WAC team. I was like, okay. Like, those guys hadn't proven it at the collegiate level. Furthermore, that's a quarterback position. You're talking about offensive lineman, which was abhorrent at KU last year, defensive tackle. You just lost two starters. Like, these guys played consistently for both teams. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know how many all of them are gonna, you know, be big contributors, but to me I just I just stop at the offensive line. Because whatever you got there is an upgrade. I mean you 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 kind of made a remark, I don't know, a month or two ago that like this was not a division one offensive line. No. And the it, worst offensive line in the country. Exactly. So if you're taking actual offensive linemen who are division one offensive linemen, that is a huge upgrade. Yeah, and I think when you look at the this isn't a collection of guys from different spots. This isn't, I got this dude from this school and this dude. I didn't just pluck a bunch of guys from all over that maybe we recruited three years ago when they were coming out. These are all from Buffalo. These are all players you've already recruited. And in the case of six of seven of them, players you've already coached. You have already established relationships with them. And the fact that they're all willing to follow you from Buffalo to Kansas... Which you can say, well, you know, you're going from the MAC to Power Five. So who wouldn't want to make that jump? Lots of guys, because Kansas offered these guys at high school. And a lot of them chose Buffalo. And I don't know if you checked lately, Buffalo had quite a bit more success in the past five years than Kansas has had. So there's a lot of guys who wouldn't be interested in making that leap. But they're doing it to be with these coaches. It's not necessarily a Lance Leipold thing, it might be. But it's probably more about your position coaches, right? Like Scott Fuchs, I believe, am I saying that right? Well, I'm not going to say it the other yeah, way. It's say. the easy way to say it. It's the safe way to say it. Uh, like Mike Nowitzki and Michael Ford following them. Like you can go read the quotes. And they said, they, they talked to John Kirby of Jack Slant. And they said, you know, the relationships with their offensive line coach was a big reason why. The relationships with Lance Leipold was a big reason why they made those jumps. That bodes well for the future of establishing relationships with players. We're going to talk to Kevin Flaherty coming up in the next hour about some of this, but when you look at the idea of the coaching change and just naturally expecting players to leave, especially with the one-time free transfer rule, when DeJon Terry and um, Marcus Harris left, it sort of felt like the floodgates were about to open and everybody was going to come poach all KU's best players. But then nothing really happened. 
Like, when you look at the players that you needed to retain, I look at Karam Prunty, at cornerback, freshman All-American. I look at Kenny Logan, your leader, defensively I think that was safety. a big reason why things have stayed together. They're still here. Yeah. Like, Kenny Logan, I mean, all the players met with Lance Leipold. But Kenny Logan, it seems like he was kind of the leader um, of that defense specifically to where once he stayed and he made it known on social media, kind of put it out there, you know, you still are going to have a couple guys leave like you did. But I think that was big in keeping everybody else together. And you saw kind of at the end of last le- last week, like I think it was Thursday, Karan Prunty tweeted out new profile pick and it's him in a KU jersey, which kind of, you know, if you read between the lines, it's him basically saying, no, I'm, I'm staying here. I'm sure he got a lot of calls. I mean, this is a guy who was late in the process, got an offer from, he's kind of a late riser out of high school, but Virginia Tech, Virginia came calling. You can get bigger programs than I'm sure came calling after the season you had at Kansas. You were a shutdown corner as a freshman in the Big 12. Like, that's a guy significantly who moves the needle if you retain him versus if you have to replace him. So I don't know, again, if that's more about what Les Miles and the previous staff had built. Because for everything we want to say negatively about Les Miles, one thing that has sort of remained true is that the guys who he brought in seem to have a lot of respect for him. And there seemed to be a pretty good culture established just when it comes to player relationships. And that wasn't the case under David Beatty. And it certainly wasn't the case under Charlie Weiss. That was the case under Les Miles. So it's probably a confluence of both those things of there already being a new culture sort of in the process of being established, even though it was only two years, and also seeing the new coaching staff come in and saying, okay, I can get with this as well. So I think that's overwhelmingly positive, and you add in the fact that now seven guys, six of whom have already played for Lance Leibold, have said, yep, let's do it at Kansas. Uh, good weekend for the Jayhawks. We'll talk more about it with Matt Tate of the LJ World. He will join the show About 15 minutes from now, he's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes. Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane. Unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. And most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and body wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. You know what's interesting? Today, July or June 1st, which means players can now go on official visits, and I think unofficial too, for 
you know, high school football recruits who haven't been able to do that since March of last year. And everybody given the new, the, the extra year of eligibility. So all these seniors get to have their super senior season. The NCAA allows these programs to be over the 85 person scholarship limit this year, but that's only for this year. The next year, it goes back to 85, and all these schools are either going to have to bring in really small recruiting classes, or they're going to have to run guys off. But not Kansas, but not Kansas, because all we've heard from the last two coaches are about how the scholarship numbers were a crutch. And I I think, you know, scholarship numbers can be tricky, but I think after this year, Kansas should be pretty close to that limit. Not this year, but next year. In 2022, they're going to be pretty close to normal. Now, it's not all about volume. It's about you know quality over quantity, and that's going to take some time. But, uh, hey, Kansas may have done both this past weekend. Six players transferred into Kansas from Buffalo. Another player who had originally committed to Buffalo as a grad transfer, Zion DeBose, uh, out of Virginia Tech, who also made the transition to Kansas. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World and KU Sports joins us now on the show. Matt, seven new additions joining Lance Leipold and his staff at Kansas over the weekend. Uh, when you look at that in its totality, all seven of those guys, what's sort of uh, your takeaway? What's the headline from, from the weekend that KU just had? That That's even faster than Bill Self added players this offseason. I mean, that's... <laughs> I don't remember self adding seven in one weekend. So no, no. We we thought we thought adding nine or ten to the basketball roster was a was a was a major thing, and it was. But this is uh, no, obviously it's different um, because of the number of players you play and also the number on your roster, as you just talked about. But there, there's no other way to put this than that it's a huge, huge deal. Um, and I say that not necessarily because of the talent and not necessarily because those guys are going to come in here and produce at an all-Big 12 type of level or anything like that. If they do, great. And, and obviously that will, that will go a long way toward uh, getting KU back on the, the winning track sooner rather than later. But even if they don't, I think as long as they come in here and serve as, as sort of that transition committee where, where you know, they, there's, what is it, two D linemen, three D linemen, I guess, Two offensive mm-hmm. linemen, receiver, and a linebacker. That's that's four different position rooms that, that these guys will be in, and and groups that they'll be out at practice with. That that they can tell the rest of these guys that were already here, hey, this is how this works, or this is how this goes, or or this is what coach is looking for in this moment, or in this moment. And I mean, the just the the ability to to be, like I said, part of that transition committee where you know you you build in some continuity overnight. Um, because these guys have been around this coaching staff. They, they, they believe in Coach Leipold. They, they love him, obviously, enough to follow him here, and they want to keep playing for him. So I think it's pure gravy if, if, they, if they can play. And, and I think it looks like a few of them certainly can, and, and they may have big right away. But even if they can't, I think the idea of just bringing in that, that group of players who can help kind of establish the culture and, and not just tell you what it's about, but have lived it. I mean, that, that's, you know, it's really easy for a group or a coach or a committee or whatever you put together to say, hey, this is what we want our culture to be. But these guys, this is a group of seven dudes who have lived that culture and can, can show um, what that means and, and, and can 
you know, acted out and, and be an active participant in, in establishing that here. I, I, I think that in and of itself is, is enormous. And, and so the rest is, the rest is a bonus and, and, and I'm sure the rest will come. I mean, I think a lot of those guys probably will factor in at least on the two deep and, and a couple of them may be starters too. So it's, it's uh it was a big weekend. No question about it. When you look at this off season as a whole, I know, We've seen a lot of programs get sort of ravaged by the transfer portal. Some have benefited from it, but for Kansas, when you have coaching staff turnover, you just sort of expect there to be a lot of players who are looking for new homes, especially with, with the freedom that players have right now. Yet that didn't really happen. I mean, we saw it with John Harry and Marcus Harris, and those are big losses because those are starters on the defensive line. But in terms of volume, that number ended up being a little bit lower then and maybe it seemed like it was going to about a month or so ago. Does that kind of speak to the same thing that you were just talking about with um, maybe the impression that Lance Leipold and his staff have had on the roster so far? Yeah, I think you could make that that connection for sure. I don't think it's automatic. I don't think that's a guarantee. I wrote something shortly after Leipold was hired that that said I didn't think the number of people leaving was going to be actually that high. I know a lot of people thought it was, but. Um, you know, this this is a group of players that that's playing in the Power Five conference, and and um, you know, for a lot of guys, that's really what it's about. You, you get the exposure here, you get the experience here. Uh, sure, it's Kansas. There are obviously a lot of better programs out there where you can have more success and 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 be part of something that's a little bit more of a winning culture, of course. But you know, those places have to want you, and those places have to have space for you, and. And that has to be a good move for you. I mean, as you alluded to, the, the number with, with the 85 and, you know, being able to bring in more guys this season, that's obviously a way for programs to make room for some of these guys potentially. But at the same time, you know, if I'm playing at Kansas and I want to go somewhere else in the Power Five and now I'm just a, a fourth-string player at my position, then, then that's you know, that's a little bit different. So I think I think they were always uh, going to to stick it out here just because of the opportunity that's here. And that doesn't mean they don't want to win. You know, I think they do want to win. And maybe a lot of them are already invested in this thing. And, and then if you throw on top of that, that that they like Leipold and like what they've seen and heard from him so far, you know, that, that just makes it even easier for them to stay. So, I, I you know, I, I, I think that uh, – I think that wasn't too surprising. I think it makes sense that a few guys left. And, and look, those two that you mentioned, I mean, they, they went to the SEC. Um, that makes a lot of sense, too, doesn't it? So I, I think that it, it's played out about as well as KU could have hoped for right now, though. Yeah, and, and I think that now that you look at what, what KU has at least open for what you can do on, on June 1st with bringing recruits in, I, I talked about this a bit right before we brought you on, Matt. Um, a lot of schools are going to have decisions to make next offseason, whether to bring in small recruiting classes or essentially running guys off. That is, unless the NCAA steps in and, and allows teams to go over the scholarship limit. As Lance Leipold and his staff sort of embark upon their first real opportunity to recruit and bring guys on since taking over, what do you kind of expect the emphasis to be in a shortened offseason here over the next month or two? Recruiting wise, or, yeah, or yeah. Re- recruiting wise. Oh my gosh, um, I, I don't have any expectations. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think you know they're 
um, I, I'm sure they're probably looking at every position because, you know, this is a, the, as much as they have players in position here that have played and some experience and some young talent and things like that, it's really starting from scratch for them too. And and so as far as bringing in the types of players they're used to recruiting and they like to bring in and all that stuff, I, I think that, I think that that's a, you know, that's a, a bigger, broader picture, right? Like we're mm-hmm. talking three, four, five year plan, not just one off season where you kind of got started late. So I, I don't, I don't have any expectations other than that. They're going to look for, for guys at all positions that, that are, guys that they're used to coaching i i don't think it's necessarily oh we're in the big 12 now we've got to go find a bunch of big 12 types of players and i mean i'm sure that's part of it but but really part of the reason that that the hire was so appealing and and part of the reason leipold was hired is that he has a system and he has he has a a plan that has proven to work and and so you know if, if this opens doors by being in the big 12 to him being able to get different players than he maybe did at Buffalo. Um, I'm sure he'll be open to that, but uh, I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, pin your ears back and go crazy uh, just looking for guys you're not used to recruiting. I think it's, let's go find the guys we've won with in the past, and whether that's at, at Wisconsin Whitewater or, or Buffalo or whatever the case may be, there is a, a type of player, and I'm not talking necessarily physical dimensions and size and things like that. I'm just talking about the personality, the mindset, that type of thing. They're looking for the guys that they're used to winning with and coaching and developing. And, and so, you know, I, I don't expect that to change at all. But there's certainly some, some new doors that could be open. So I, I think that's why it's kind of a, a blank slate and a fresh start. And, and as much as he's going to continue, I think, to try to work his plan that, that has obviously served him very, very well, I, I think he will tweak it a little bit as time goes on. But I don't know if he has time to, to, to make major overhauls to that plan right now. I mean, you know, maybe little subtle things along the way. But, but I think right away, I think they'll, they'll probably keep doing a lot of what they've put in the past and, and what's worked in the past. So, um, you know, that's something we've got to find out, too. I, I, I barely know the guy myself. So it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to say too much of, of what to expect uh, when I haven't even been around him that much. But, but I do think that they're looking for football players. They're looking for guys that will buy into this culture and, and guys that, that they can coach up. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I think that that's, that's the job at Kansas. It's development. So if that means you go find a tight end who you turn into an offensive tackle, or if that means you go find a quarterback who you turn into a tight end or whatever it is, I think you're going to see some of that mentality return to KU because that's, that's obviously done very well in the past under other coaches who had success here, and I think Leipold's wired that same way. Do you get the sense that he's going to have a similar role to the, the the past couple head coaches we've seen? I mean, really, each of the last four head coaches that KU's hired since Mangino, I think we would all agree were like sort of the primary recruiters. Like Les Ma wanted wanted to come in and put the rings on the table. David Beatty, in large part, got hired at Kansas because of his recruiting prowess. Charlie Wise, kind of the same thing as Les Miles. Like, hey, I coached Tom Brady. Um, I've went out and got number one recruiting classes at Notre Dame. Like, this is kind of what I do. I don't know if we've got enough information or or actual quotes from Lance Leipold that have indicated what his role is going to be recruiting-wise, but do you anticipate it being a little bit different than the past couple head coaches? Yeah, it's funny you said that because I was thinking about that over the weekend with all these guys. Now, obviously these were 
a lot of these were guys that he uh, he recruited to Buffalo and coached at Buffalo, so it's a little bit different. But but I was thinking about that very thing, and and if anything, I, you know, I I don't mean to disparage anything that was done in the past because that seems a little bit like revisionist history. You know, I mean, at the time, it seemed like being able to say, "Hey, Les Miles is our closer. Come play for him." That seemed like a good thing for Kansas at the time, even even with Charlie White, like. Hey, this guy's got Super Bowl rings, and he's won at that level, and he coached Tom Brady. Come, come learn from him, and and you know that was something that that they sold on the recruiting trail, and and rightfully so, you know. So it, it seemed at the time like those were good things. They just didn't work out, and and that that wasn't purely because of recruiting. That was you know a bunch of different things that obviously factored into to why those neither of those coaches had a, a ton of success here. But I, I was thinking over the weekend about how that relates to Leipold and. And the thing that kept coming up to me was that you're not, you're not going to, Kansas is not going to land players in recruiting, at least not in the next year or two that are like, I want to go play for Lance Leipold, the name, right? Mm. I mean, it's, it's like Les Miles was a big name. Charlie White's a big name. And, and that alone got people excited and and maybe made the was the deciding factor in some of those kids' minds. This this because Lance Leipold's not a big name like that, and because you get the feeling that that when he's out recruiting, it, it's as much for him about connecting with the kids and their families, and 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 connecting with the vision they have for for the culture and and their futures and their development and their position and all that stuff. I mean, to me, it just. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're living this moment now, but it, it just seemed like kind of a refreshing thing where you're, you're not going to see a whole bunch of stories with quotes to say, well, yeah, it was Les Miles. How could I say no to that? You know, you, that's the Lance Leipold name doesn't carry that same thing. So when you get kids to commit to Kansas now, they're committing not to Lance Leipold, but to the Lance Leipold way of doing things. And to me, I mean, again, maybe that's just because that's what we're living right now. But, but to me, that sounds like something that, that, that gives you a better chance to find the right guys and, and to find some guys that are here day one ready to just absolutely sell out and buy in and, and be all about the culture and the program and, and be good teammates and all that stuff. And, and you know, maybe, that doesn't, maybe that's not the way it works out. And who knows? Maybe he'll go crazy and win a bunch of games his first two years, and all of a sudden Lance Leipold in Kansas will be big names. Um, but at least as of right now, it just seems like that, that, that could be a really refreshing change of pace for, for some of these kids because, you know, they're, they're, picking, they're picking the school, they're picking the program, they're picking the opportunity, they're picking the, the, the development, the potential, all those things that they're going to get or they should get out of this, this staff instead of just picking – the name that sounds cool on their signing day, you know, oh, well, Les Miles wants me or Charlie Weiss wants me. I mean, that, that's all great, but, but I, I think this will be cool to see if this works out any better. Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't necessarily make those types of players better, um, but it makes them different. Like, there's a, right. you're recruiting different type of guys who want to play for, you know, a way of coaching than a name, right, than a specific guy totally right. or a resume. Yep. He is Matt Tate. Think- oh, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, I think it'll be really interesting. I mean, it, it, you know, it, 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 I, we don't have enough data or, or, you know, there's no scientific data that says one is right and one is wrong. It's, it's just kind of you look at the way it's 
been done and the way it's worked out. And it's easy to say that that wasn't it. So we'll see how interesting it gets with, with this being the way. But, but, you know, you, you see what these Buffalo guys are saying. And um, for them, it was, it was about relationships. It was about the connection they made with him. Um, they're, they're not coming to Kansas because it's a power five opportunity. And because Lance Leipold's a hall of famer, they're coming because they love the guy and they want to play for him some more and they didn't want to lose that opportunity. So, you know, I think these guys would have followed him to the moon. I really do. I mean, it just, it seems like that's, that's the kind of culture and, and program he created up there and probably what the goal is for him to do down here. And, and now with these guys in the mix, you're, you're at least a little bit closer to doing that. Well said. He is Matt Tate, LJ World, KUSports.com. Appreciate it, man. All right. You bet, man. Thank you. Have a good week. All right. That is Matt Tate of the LJ World. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, man, because I agree 100%. He doesn't bring that same name recognition or that cachet that maybe you had with Les Miles where you think, okay, you just call. You say, I'm Les Miles. Kids are going to automatically pick up the phone and at least hear you out. Lance Leipold maybe doesn't have that. But you know the guys who do agree to come play for him aren't just coming because it's Kansas and you get to play for a Power 5. It's going to be because uh, you're buying what he's selling, which is more about the product than the person who is selling it, which hasn't been the case for quite some time at Kansas. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, going to join the show about 35 minutes from now. I'm Nick Schwartz. He's Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I was in Colorado this weekend, and it, it's funny, man. It doesn't matter where I'm at. It doesn't matter where I go. People ask me the same thing. No matter where I go, people always asking me, Hey, did you hear about this thing? Did you hear about this one thing? Hey, have you seen this thing? What do you think about that? I was like, man, no, I didn't hear about it. I don't. Nobody has time to just hear about everything. And it's like, what do you want to say about it? You clearly have an opinion on it. You brought it up, so why don't you just tell me what you think? Because personally, I don't have time to care about everything. Neither do you. But that's why we always set aside a few minutes at the beginning of each week to talk about all the things that we may have missed over the weekend in a segment called do we give a bleep? So before you officially give a bleep, you need to decide whether or not it's even worth giving a bleep about. Mm. It's kind of... I'm lost. That's really deep stuff. Yeah, very deep. Philosophical. Read a poetry book. First up, Jake Paul. You know who Jake Paul is? Jake Paul, uh, YouTube sensation. Yeah. And former UFC welterweight champ Tyrone Woodley have agreed to a boxing match, which is set for August 28th. Uh, Jake Paul has been kind of running through the boxing gambit of late. Yeah. Tyrone Woodley, as mentioned, former Tyron. UFC fighter. Tyron Woodley. Tyron. Uh, not a boxer. And Jake Paul's actually Mizzou a grad. Which one? Tyron Woodley. Oh. Former Big 12 champ. Wow. But yeah, UFC fighter, not boxer. And he's old. Quite yes. old. He is 39 years old. He last held the title. Again, former champion, but he last held the title in 2016. He has lost his last four fights. Yeah, as as again in UFC. as fighters approaching the age of 40 often do. Yeah. And Can't in be UFC, in your prime forever. You can wrestle. 
you can kick. Yeah, that's why he was a he was Big 12 champion of wrestling mm-hmm. in Mizzou. Not boxing. Not boxing. Uh, so it would make sense that a guy 15 years younger than him, and listen, you know, it's easy to get confused. Jake Paul and his brother Logan Paul, who is fighting Floyd Mayweather this weekend. So that's really a big, this weekend? I believe it's wow. this weekend, yeah. Which one do you give a belief more about? Uh, Lamar Odom is fighting Aaron Carter next weekend. That's actually the one I care Aaron the most Carter. about. Aaron Carter, uh, Nick Carter, the Backstreet Boy, his oh. little brother. Aaron Carter had this song uh, back in the early. Lamar two- Odom's like six foot ten. Aaron Carter had the song back in the early two thousand. Uh, Chuck Liddell is refing that fight, by the way. Former UFC champion. What is going on? This is the point, though. Is the world of fighting now? It's just, it's celebrity deathmatch, which I'm kind of okay with. It's honestly, just pick the celebrities that you want to see fight. But there's two worlds of it. Like, there's Lamar Odom and Aaron Carter. He he had the song, That's How I Beat Shaq. That was like his hit single. How big is this guy? Not Lamar Odom size. Okay. He's not the size of an NBA player. Right. How's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Lamar Odom's like big, even by NBA standards. So that's going to be pretty rough. But that's all that fighting is anymore. It's like... And how we didn't realize this earlier is kind of silly because people are going to crap on it saying it's ruining the sport. Well, yeah, but all the sport ever did was make money based off the amount of people who will buy it. And for the longest time, these these sporting commissions just thought that the best way and the people who saw these fights, Don, uh, Don King, said, well, the way you sell fights is by getting the best fighters. No, 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 no. Wrong. You don't sell fights by getting the best fighters. You sell fights by getting the most famous people. The, people, the, the fights that people want to see. And who's more famous than YouTube and TikTok stars? <laughs> because that's who Jake yeah. Paul and his brother Logan Paul are. They're like TikTok slash Disney stars. That means there's a lot of kids, a lot of teens, who never would have bought a fight, who are now going to buy these fights. Yeah, That's like, how you sell Because well, that's the thing. Back in the 80s and 90s, the most famous, like some of the most famous athletes, some of the most famous people were boxers. Like that was just a, it was a bigger sport yeah. back in the day when you didn't have as many things on TV and, and that would go on. So uh, I don't know. I do give a bleep about this in the sense that like I kind of want to know what happens, but like I also don't give a bleep because again, like it's a 40 year old who is not a boxer. We just saw. But Jake Paul keep, keeps knocking people out, too. That's he the does. other thing that should be no, referenced he is here. Like a, that's the thing. Like, he is actually, like, a good boxer. I mean, I, I don't really like the dude, but, like. Well, I would like to see him fight against boxers. Because the last guy he fought, and this is how it all happened. The last guy he fought was the same yes. type of dude that he's fighting now. Tyron Woodley, former. It was, it was Ben Askren, who was a semi-retired UFC fighter. Getting in the boxing. Who was known for wrestling. Exactly. So how do we know if this guy... I mean, clearly he's got knockout power because he's knocking people out and he's massive. But like, I would like to see him against a boxer. But again, part of the allure here is he needs to keep winning. That way people want to keep watching him. Because if he were just like... He fought Nate Robinson. Was the first guy he fought. Former NBA player. Like 5'8". Yeah, who was never trained. Not like have any formal training whatsoever. So it's like, okay... If you put him against a boxer and he loses, then you're not going to be able to keep selling these fights. But if you put him against these washed-up UFC fighters and he keeps winning, 
Because I don't think Tyron Woodley has any desire to win this fight. Like, I saw the promo, and in the promo, it said that Tyron Woodley has a podcast called Morningwood, and he hosts an internet show on TMZ called Hollywood Beat. I okay. This isn't just a semi-retired UFC fighter. This is a guy who is trying to make a name for himself out of UFC. What better way to do that than to fight against like the most popular kid on the internet? This is like this is what this is what combat sports is now. So so that's what this is setting up. Jake Paul can win this. Floyd Mayweather kicks Logan Paul's butt, and then we get Floyd Mayweather, Jake Paul. Is that what this is leading to? I guess. Because at this point, Floyd Mayweather's basically retired, but Floyd Mayweather's never lost. Yeah. And he's never lost, and he's not coming back because Jake Paul is the better of the Could brothers. Imagine that. What? Okay, wait. Hypothetically, Jake Paul is the only person to ever beat Floyd May- Mayweather in a boxing match. If that were the case. Like, do we view Jake Paul as, like, one of the greatest boxers Floyd alive Mayweather now? would never take that fight. Floyd Mayweather would never take a fight at this stage because how old is he? He's in his 40s. He's be like 44. So he's not taking a fight and putting his undefeated record on the line unless he knows he's going to win. He's 44, yeah. 50 and 0. He's not, dude, he's not going to fight this kid if he thinks he's going to lose. But I have no idea if he would lose. That's the thing. Like we said, Jake Paul, actually good boxer. And but Floyd against Mayweather, a professional boxer, like, I don't know. Floyd Mayweather's 5'8". Jake Paul's 6'1". Could they even, are they even in the same class? You have to meet in the same weight class. So, like, Woodley, I think when he was in the UFC, he was, like, 170, 180. I always but get, he's getting up to 190. I right? always get surprised by how small these boxers are. Like, I remember with the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, weren't they both, like, 150 pounds? Yeah. Like, 155 pounds. Like, oh, my gosh. These guys are so tiny, yet quite lethal. But I'm not going to watch any of this stuff. Simply I don't want to be- pay for it. That's it. I'm just not going to pay but for like, it. But, like, if I had a friend text me and be like, hey, I bought the fights. You want to come over and watch it? I'd be like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Let's do it. So, I guess I give a bleep, but I also don't. If somebody has an illegal stream for me? Then I give a bleep. Hey, Chelsea had a good weekend. Chelsea. Yeah. What was your favorite thing that Chelsea did this weekend? Uh, The soccer team. Yeah. They won. Yes. Blue. The Blues. Yes. Yeah. Both teams were blue. But- yeah, but they say... Uh, yes, come they on, say you go blues. Go blues. Come on, you blues. Come on, blues. Come yeah. on, blues. <laughs> uh, yeah, they won the Premier League. No, they won the UEFA Cup. I mean, sort of. It's called the Champions League. Champions League. Yes. Not the Super League. UEFA. Not no, the Super League. No, not not happening. You know what? You're going to use this against me to my ignorance towards soccer and say you know nothing about soccer. It's okay. Well, how many leagues? Do I need to keep track of? Because I mean, this the is Chiefs like are the, only in one league. No, this KU is the basketball is only league. in like, one this league. This is the league. But okay, but okay, KU's in one league. This, the Boston Celtics only in one league. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are only in one league. The New York Yankees are only in one league. Yet these soccer clubs in Europe are in like four or five leagues, and I'm supposed to. I mean, technically, keep track of all. No, of them. I mean, technically, you could say the Chiefs are in three leagues. They're in the AFC West. They're in the AFC. That's their division. But it's, it's basically conference. like the same idea. They're all part of the same season. The Chiefs only play in one season. Yeah, and they're all part of the same season. The AFC West, what you do determines where you are in the AFC. And then where you finish in the AFC determines if you make it to the Super Bowl. So that's the same thing here. Well, not exactly. Okay, but- so you lied to me. You lied to me to make a point. 
and therefore it nullifies your whole argument. But there's like, too many leagues. If you win the AFC, you celebrate. You win the Premier League, you celebrate. But it's not as cool as winning the Super Bowl, which the Champions League is like the Super Bowl. So this was the Super Bowl. This was yes, the one you want to win. This is every club in the world, right? You get invited if you're whatever place MLS. in the league. Except for the MLS, because they're not good enough. They wouldn't get invited anyway? No. Okay. So they beat Man City. Go, go, go Controversial. Blues. Controversial. Yeah. Controversial, though. You know. With Pep Guardiola's tactics. But that's part of that's the name of the game. Yeah. You big Tuchel guy? Absolutely. Yeah. I support every man or woman's okay. right to, to choose. So you definitely give a bleep on that one. Absolutely. Go Blues. Uh, Universal Studios wants a Fast and Furious crossover with Jurassic World. Wait a minute. I thought that Fast and Furious movies were going to space next. Maybe. I don't know. One of them could, could be next. Could you do the others after. Vin Diesel, what about all three? Hot Rods, Space, and Dinosaurs. Why it's not? It's never been done. I did see the new. Did you see this new uh, clip that was released earlier today from the the new Fast and Furious movie? No. Uh, I won't spoil it for you. It's like a sixty second clip of Vin Diesel in like a lowered, I don't know, like Dodge Charger or something, and he flies off a mountain cliff with uh, um, a wire, okay, like hooked to the bottom of the car, and he's basically swinging off like a rope. Yeah, you know those rope swings that you hang off a tree and then you jump into a lake or something? Yeah. It's like that with a car off the side of a mountain. Okay. He just flies off the side of the mountain, swings from one mountain cliff to the next. And uh, even by Fast and Furious standards, (laughs) it's one of the more ridiculous movie clips I've ever seen. And so you watch that and you, like, I, one of the Fast and Furious like movies. like Georgia the Jungle, but on mountains? I mean, if we're just taking, if we're just cataloging here, one of the Fast and Furious movies, they parachute out of a out of an aircraft carrier plane. No, not an aircraft carrier. Uh, a freight plane. What I don't know what they're called. Um, they In cars. Mm-hmm. They they parachute in the, in the cars. And in another Fast and Furious movie, they're in Dubai, and they jump one car. They just blast right through the window of a skyscraper into the next building. I don't see the issue here. And I think actually there are. I think they are going into space in this next movie. Oh, okay. So you would look at all of those clips individually and say, "Ridiculous! Could never happen! How'd they think of this?" So how would that be any different if you have Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson? In a Ford Mustang driving through the legs of yeah. a brontosaurus. Right. He's like, oh, bleep. No, that, that's gonna what it's going to be. Us. That's what it's going to be. They're going to use a <laughs> brontosaurus as a ramp. Oh, yeah. That's 100% happening. Are they fighting? But wait a minute. How do they get to the dinosaurs? Do they go back? They just have to go to Chris Pratt. Calls I don't, I don't, we, don't, we don't need the reason that's how true. it happened. We just It happens. Is there a better movie that you'd want crossed over? You know why you know why they're doing this? Because Universal Studios is not dumb. It's the same thing with the boxing stuff and the fighting stuff. They're saying the concept doesn't matter. Popular yeah. movie franchises. No, but but can you make like a crazier thing. crossover for me? I want to see Godzilla merge with Fast and Furious. And Godzilla but I don't think Jurassic Park or Jurassic World is any more ridiculous than Godzilla is. Okay, then merge all three. I want I want Godzilla part of the family drinking. But you know a Godzilla's Way bigger than dinosaurs. Yeah, because in that Godzilla movie that came back in the, out in the two thousands, 
one of the scenes is Godzilla's foot smashes a T-Rex. Uh, um, what do they call the, the bones? Yeah, what do they call those? I Are you kidding remember. me? How do we What's know? Fossils. That? There you go. I think. Yeah. So Godzilla's bigger, so I don't think a hot rod's going to do much good. But no, but that's it, man. It's it doesn't matter how it works. It just they say, well, we've got two different audiences that there's probably a lot of crossover in, but both have proven us with their money and by buying tickets every time we put a new movie out that they are willing to accept whatever goes on in this world. So this ends with like Fast and Furious 15 in the year 2030 where they cross over with Avengers, right? That's like the end goal. Probably. But that's, that's like a $10 billion movie. Yeah, I mean, but these movies already make a lot of money. Mm. Didn't the new, when the when the, the latest Jurassic, the, the first Jurassic World movie came out? Yeah, it did really well. It broke every box office record, didn't it? Until the Avengers movie came out. Okay, last one. Uh, how about this headline for you? Plague of ravenous, destructive mice tormenting Australians. Vast tracts of land in Australia's New South Wales state are being threatened by a mouse plague that the state government describes as absolutely unprecedented. The risk is that the mice basically can go to all the farmland, devour the wheat, barley. Uh, I don't know what canola is, but apparently that's... Canola uh, oil. Being harvested. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, NSW farmers are projecting that it could cost them $775 million in value of the crop. The state government has already ordered a bunch of poison, but has yet to get it cleared. I was just about to say that. Um, But the problem is... Poison the cheese. If they poison the mice, then a lot of animals eat the mice. And then they get poisoned. Yeah, haven't you ever heard about how mice spread plagues? Because there's so many, there's so many of That's them. That's what's going on here. So uh, apparently, got to uh, kill them all. This is the most. But disturbing that's disrupting the food this. chain too. Imagine being in a house, and this was in the article. The worst comes after dark when millions of mice that had been hiding dormant during the day become active. By day, the crisis is less apparent. Patches of road are dotted with squashed mice from the previous night, but birds soon take the carcasses away. Haystacks. But then birds, but then birds are going to exactly. spread. Exactly. Haystacks are disintegrating due to ravenous rodents that have burrowed deep inside. Upending a sheet of scrap metal lying in a paddock will send a dozen mice screen. The sidewalks are strewn with dead mice that have eaten the poisonous bait. Uh, this was a. Okay, quote I can tell from you're somebody. reading directly from. I know that was that was an exact paragraph from the article. This is a quote from it. They're in the roof cavity of your house. If your house is not well sealed, they're in bed with you. People are getting bitten in bed. It doesn't relent. That's for sure. Somebody else said they drowned 7,500 mice. They're drowning mice? Imagine going home and at night you have to like wake up and there's 18 mice squirming around in your bed. Doesn't it seem like Australia is always getting hit with just like the most disgusting uh, animal issues? Yeah, if you were to tell me that like a dinosaur reappeared, it would be in Australia. Because Australia is the one that had, they have the uh, the the spiders. Yeah, the giant spiders. Well, not the just giant, giant spiders, but it's everything. Everything can kill but you. No, there. but it's not just giant spiders. But you'll walk into like a bedroom, you turn the bed your bedroom light on, and there's a million spiders. Right. No, everything will kill you there. Like, is this is it just bad infrastructure? Do they not know how to build like <laughs> houses that can keep out rodents? Have and I'm we not tried... saying we're perfect in America, but we've certainly gotten better. Yeah. No, have we tried bringing them, like, you know, the spray you do for ants and, and pests? Like Roundup? Yeah. Maybe they need more Roundup. This seems to be a, a significant issue. Yes. Because you, if you kill it, you can say, well, let's just kill them all. Well, there's billions of them. There's but, like, be. how far are we from having this happen in New York City except with rats instead of mice? Oh, I guess I was thinking of rats. ostensibly worse. Yeah. Um, 
There's a bit, it's not just New York City. It's, it's Chicago as well. Have you seen that documentary on Netflix? No, I'm Netflix? afraid to. I don't want to. Because New York City, they just put their trash out on the sidewalk, you know? And mice come up from the sewers. And mice are so smart, too. Or rats, excuse me. Rats are so smart, too, that if you poison a supply, and they, they, they travel in packs, and if you poison, like, a supply and, a, like, a certain number of them die, they'll stop eating it. Like, rats are not dumb. They're not all just going to keep flocking to that poison supply of trash or whatever and keep eating it. Like, they'll stay away from it and go find something else. You can't. There's nothing you can do. Rats secretly are in charge of society. And no civilization has lasted forever. And we're not going to be any different. And people seem to think that it's going to be, I don't know, aliens. Jesse Newell might be on that train. We'll talk to him tomorrow. Uh, It might be aliens. It might just be, you know, climate change. It could be natural disasters. World War III. It's going to be mice, man. It's going to be rats. Mm. It's going to be rodents. They're going to be what ultimately causes the destruction of humankind and it's sad to say but i mean this case in point australia's first and it's only a matter of time before those rats learn how to swim and make their way to north america all right it's 25 past the hour that's do we give a bleep this is rock shark sports talk so six former buffalo players in total committed to kansas over the weekend and then a seventh Zion DeBose had committed to Buffalo as a grad transfer from Virginia Tech back in March. Lance Leipold and his staff head to Kansas, and so does he. So make it seven in total committing to Kansas over the weekend. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us now on the show. Kevin, would it be possible for Lance Leipold to actually have tampered with himself? while he was at Buffalo by telling players to go to Kansas. Is there any precedent for that? You know, there's not a ton of precedent for it, but I think one of the things that's highly encouraging about it is you have guys who are leaving a program that that just went to a bowl game and coming into a situation where I think even the most optimistic people would say that Kansas is still a multi-year build. And yet, you know, they, they seem to enjoy their experience enough, enjoy the staff enough or, or whatever else they, that they went ahead and sort of left the, the comfort of where they were at to, to go somewhere else and, and give it a try. And so I think that, you know, that's certainly an encouraging thing in that I don't know, Nick, if Lance Leipold and this group, I don't know that they're going to be – a staff that, that's going to go out and, and, you know, excel from a recruiting standpoint. And I don't mean that they're going to do poorly. I just mean I don't know that they're going to be the type of group that's going to put together, you know, a temporary class like what the Louisianimals class was or, or, or whatever else. And so when that happens, what you need to do is you need to be smart with your evaluations. You need to develop the players you have, and you need to build those relationships and certainly, you know, seven guys coming, six of whom have already played for Leipold at Buffalo, that would seem to indicate that they're doing a good job on the relationships part when they actually get to, to coaching these guys. And, and some of these guys have already stepped up and played and excelled in a major way. So you view this differently than you would if a coaching staff came in and, and went out and 
gave either scholarships to transfers from different schools or went the JUCO route. You view this as being different than that. I do. There's still a little bit of worry, I think, in that with there being so many, you know, without having the exact look at, at Kansas's scholarship numbers and, and their book for 2022, I think there's a little bit of a worry in that you say, well, for some of these guys, are are we taking this scholarship potentially away from a from a four year guy who would have a chance to develop it, et cetera? But at the same time, and that's just because there's so many of them. I think a guy like Nowitzki in particular, you're you're probably not going to land that guy on your best recruiting day, and he's certainly not going to be able to come in right away and play at the level that Nowitzki is able to. But I do view it as different from a coach just sort of saying, hey, we've got holes. You know, Let's grab these guys from five or, or ten different schools. You look at you know, Kansas State, I think it has said, uh, Chris Kleiman said that they would save around 10 scholarships or recruiting class to go out and, and get transfer players. You know, you look at what Texas Tech is doing. I don't think a lot of people realize this, Nick. Texas Tech doesn't have a single player committed for the class of 2022. And a big part of that is how active they've been on the transfer market in terms of trying to go out and find guys all over the place who can come in and play right away. I don't necessarily see this as the equivalent of that. You know, several of these guys have, you know, multiple years left. They're guys that that can help form the foundation. And even beyond that, Nick, there's an advantage to bringing in six guys who are familiar with the staff, familiar with expectations, getting those guys into your weight room, into the meeting rooms, and having guys who already know what the expectations and what the culture is supposed to be. I think there's an advantage to that as well. Uh, you mentioned Nowitzki, spelled differently than Dirk, uh, first team all Mac in 2020. Uh, I'm sure he stands out to you. How many of these guys in total, if we look at the seven guys that KU's added over the weekend, how many of them moved the needle for you in the short term for Kansas? In the short term, I think you're talking about, you know, maybe two or three starters out of, out of that seven right away. Um, I, I think that Nowitzki is the obvious one. And the reason he stands out so much, Nick, is not just that he's really good, which he is. You're talking about one of the guys who is potentially entering this season as one of the nation's best centers. But when you look at what Buffalo likes to do in really building off that wide zone run, it's something that can be really tricky for centers to do. And, and I'm not sure that Kansas had guys that were going to find success this year, you know, in being able to accomplish it and being able to do it and find the angles and get to some of those tougher blocks that Nowitzki is going to be able to come in and do right away and already has a track record of doing it. And I think when you look at Jarrett Patterson, you know, who had such a huge year for Buffalo last year, you look at a lot of his touchdown runs and Nowitzki pops, and you don't usually see that with offensive linemen. You know, they say a lot of times the best thing about an offensive lineman is when you don't know they're there or don't notice them. Nowitzki is somebody you notice on, on tape because he's, you know, on the move. He's, he's washing a guy out. He's getting to the second level and laying key blocks. And so I think when you look at all of that, he's, he's the star of this group. At the same time, you know, I, I think that Eddie Wilson, the, the big nose tackle, is a guy who's almost, you know, a like-for-like replacement for DeJon Terry. 
which will be good. Another big bodied guy, you know, had some all Mac offers, you know, all Mac honors to him as, as well. He's older than Terry was, but at the same time, you know, he's probably a little bit more actualized as a player right now at that same size. I think the, uh, the Travis Wilson kid at wide receiver is really interesting because on his tape, you know, Buffalo runs a lot of play action and Wilson just runs by guys. He's got terrific speed out there on the field, but he's also interesting in that he's got a younger brother who is a highly sought after prospect as a linebacker. Yeah, I believe in 2023. And so when you, when you look at that, you know, a good move for right now and that you're adding speed to a receiving core that I think we all can admit probably needs it a little bit. And, and yet at the same time, you're also potentially setting yourself up to, uh, to give yourself a, a shot with a recruit on down the line. The Michael Ford kid who is the, uh, is the young offensive lineman was probably going to start at right tackle for Buffalo this year. And he's another guy that's really intriguing to me because he doesn't fit the physical dimensions of what you see for Big 12 tackles. He's six foot three, 285 pounds, but he's got tremendous mobility. And you can really see him move. He was a guy who played both ways in high school. And so he's somebody that could move into guard and find a lot of success, or if outside zone becomes something that's really effective for him here, he might be able to stick out there. And so I think he's somebody that that might not necessarily hop into the starting lineup, you know, right away, but he's probably somebody who's going to be a depth piece and then a multiple year starter. And then I think when you look at some of the other guys in there, they're guys that have a chance to maybe be in the rotation and, and potentially, you know, compete for a starting spot down the road. Big picture, do you think it would behoove this coaching staff to maybe go in on more guys like that who are a little bit undersized with the outside zone? Just knowing that if if you're going to go after the prototype Big 12 tackles, it's going to be tough to find ones that are as competitive as other ones and, and defensive ends across the Big 12. Do you feel like that's something that you almost expect Kansas to do, just knowing about the disadvantages that they're going to have recruiting-wise? You know, it's interesting, Nick, because I think when you look at Moneyball, you know, a, a big thing that a lot of people took away from that is, oh, it's about stats, it's about on-base percentage, it's not really my thing. The whole thing is about finding market inefficiencies. You know, what things are overly valued, and so we don't want to spend our time or effort there, and what things are undervalued where potentially we can get greater return on our investment. And I think you just hit on one, because... When you look at a team that that Kansas, quite frankly, is very familiar with, you look at Coastal Carolina's offensive line last year, and I think they had one guy over 6'3 on their starting offensive line. And they were able to build, you know, a top 10, top 15 type team out of that. And I'm not saying that that's ideal. I'm not saying that that's what you go for initially or, or what you're even, you know, out there looking for specifically. But I think that when you run certain offenses, and Coastal Carolina is obviously more of an option-based offense, uh, I think that when you run certain offenses, that is an area where you can get away with maybe taking a six foot three guy out there instead of a six foot five guy, because what you need is the mobility and, and the agility, and that's something that Michael Ford brings. That's something that they could potentially target down the road with a guy who's 
maybe not getting the the recruiting attention, you know, that that maybe he should be. Ford was playing tackle in high school at, at six foot three, and there's a guy right now at, at Lincoln Prep in Kansas City that I think is kind of interesting, and I kind of circled him after after they got the Michael Ford kid. He's six three and a half, two hundred and eighty pounds. Um, so, so he's undersized for a tackle as well. Uh, but, but he's somebody that, that stands out to me as another type of guy that maybe you could go out and get who isn't getting the recruiting attention for how good he is because he doesn't necessarily meet the measurables that people look for when they want to take a tackle. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, with us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Today's June 1st, so that means high school recruits can officially take visits to campus for the first time since COVID shut everything down last spring. I, I, we know how important these first couple classes are going to be for any, for any staff. We always talk about that with a new staff and with KU. We've got to talk about that a lot over the past decade or so. But being is that Lance Leipold and this staff took over at a unique time during the offseason, a little bit later than most new coaches would, how important is th- this next month or these next two months for Lance Leipold and his staff when it comes to recruiting? You know, I think they're important not necessarily for recruiting, but for evaluation. And I think that it's important that they try and get the right kids out to camp over the next couple months because you're starting off behind, you know, not just with the timeline, but also, you know, you're you're bringing in and you're not necessarily sure who all you really want in this class at, at this point. And I know that that sounds wild to say based on where we're at in the calendar, but you're still building and filling out your recruiting board. And so there are potentially some guys locally, potentially some guys who maybe aren't local but are willing to travel in and, and compete for a spot. If you're taking a small class in 2022, which Kansas almost certainly is, especially with these transfers, which just about everybody, it, it seems like is having at least recruiting classes under 20, if not you know, totally under 15, et cetera, then you maybe have a little bit of time here to sit back and say, okay, who do we really want? If we are, if with the guys that Kansas has committed right now, if we are taking eight more guys, you know, let's make sure that those guys are the right eight guys. Let's get our hands on them with these camps, get a chance to coach them, see how they respond to the coaches. Let's, let's get a chance to evaluate guys and, and, in some circumstances, with this class in particular, you may even get a chance to watch a couple guys go into their senior years and maybe save a spot or two for a guy who, who really emerges or blows up over the course of that season. And we've seen that pay off in the past for guys like Bill Snyder and different coaches who kind of waited later in the cycle to do that. I will say one thing that they will need to start doing is start to make that headway in 2023 because this is looking like an outstanding in-state class in 2023. I, I think it's probably going to be a pretty solid class overall. And so you don't want to leave the summer, you know, without having guys knowing that they're on your priority board, at least at this point in 2023. And so this summer makes a, it, it's a chance to go out there and really, sort of push in on guys that uh, that maybe are going to be priorities for you in the next class. And as crazy as it sounds, that might be more important than, you know, really recruiting for, for 2022. I think 2022 is more about evaluation at this point for those last few spots. 
positionally, is there anything that you expect to be an emphasis? You know, uh, I'll be interested to see what they do at the quarterback position. And I think that that's a, a tough thing for a new staff to gauge because you have Jason Bean coming in from North Texas. You know, you've just brought in two quarterbacks in the last class. Uh, you, you obviously have Jalen Daniels, who's a young guy. What they do at the quarterback position will really tell you a lot about what they believe they have in that quarterback room. You know, do they do they go guns out blazing for a quarterback of the future type guy that, you know, there's no doubt? Or do they say, hey, we'll, we'll maybe grab a developmental guy, you know, maybe push all of our, our chips into the Avery Johnson, you know, bucket uh, for, uh, for 2023. It, it's, it's an interesting question. I do think, you know, they could use a little bit more depth on the line, linebacker. You're always going to want in the Big 12, and, and even with the offensive changes, you're always going to want wide receivers and defensive backs. And, and so I, I expect them to, to make some moves there. But I think the most interesting position I, I, for evaluation and how they handle it, I think, will be keeping an eye on quarterback in the 2022 cycle. If they, if they really start pushing hard for somebody or if they – they kind of let it fade back and say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna make our hay here in 2023." You mentioned wide receivers and defensive backs. Wait, I understand, like you want a, just a high volume of them because of how many are going to play. But aren't those also the, the positions where, even if you're a bad team, you can have quality players? Like it seems like those skill position players are easier to find than uh, quality linemen, for example. Yeah, I think. I think linemen, you know, when you go to Kansas, yes, you want to get good guys. But I think it's also about attacking that position in bulk and getting guys. You know, a great example I thought in this past class was was Larson Workman uh, that Kansas was able to get signed from, from out of Texas. You know, he was a guy that you look at the frame, there's some multi-sport athleticism there. It's not necessarily that we can look at, at Larson right now and say with 100% you know, certainty, hey, this is going to be an all-Big 12 guy in three years. But he has the tools. You know, he has what you want when you put the guy into the weight room and say, hey, you know, we're going to continue to work and develop you and, and all of that. So I think offensive line is a position you, you address like that. I think wide receiver is so interesting in this class because there's some really intriguing local talents that I think, you know, would, would be worth uh, really pushing hard for it and potentially winding up with a guy who winds up being your program's wide receiver one, you know, out of that group. Uh, defensive back, it's just in the Big 12, you, you have to have those guys. The other thing that is tough to find, tough to identify – and tough to get it if they really emerge. You know, you'd like to have another edge rusher in the program. And I, I know that that, that was uh, kind of what they're hoping. I think Zion DeBose will be, you know, coming in as a, as a graduate transfer. He was a guy out of high school was just tremendously quick off the line and, and, you know, caused some issues that way. Didn't have the success at Virginia Tech, was banged up there a lot, but I think if there was another position where I'd say, you know, you would love to get, you know, somebody who really stands out that you can project it and say, I, I think we landed, you know, one of the better guys in the conference at this position, it would be identifying an edge rusher guy who can get to the quarterback and help make your defensive backs lives a little easier. I don't want to 
get too uh, ahead of myself here, but when when we saw Dejon Terry and then Marcus Harris transfer out, you know, two projected starters on the D line, it sort of felt like maybe there was a mass exodus coming. Which, with the freedom of movement now and the the turnover on the coaching staff, is kind of to be expected for college football. Yet. We haven't really seen anything since then, whether it's you're looking at talented players like Karan Prunty. I know is a name that a lot of people were thinking, okay, freshman All-American, a lot of teams would be calling him. Yet we haven't really seen that. Like, I don't, again, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but have you been at all surprised by the fact that there hasn't been as many guys electing to leave Kansas? Yeah, I think so. And I think some of that is the, the Les Miles staff did a great job of of landing young talent in the program and, you know, watching broadcasts, obviously for the last year, it was something that popped up quite a bit that, Hey, Kansas is playing more freshmen than anybody in the country. They would throw up the graphic that says, Hey, you know, Kansas is the youngest team in the country in terms of the guys that are actually playing. And so a lot of those guys had a chance to get out, see the field, you know, put some good things on tape and, and then maybe, you know, improve their situation a little bit, at least in terms of going to a program that's going to have maybe a little bit more immediate success. And, and I think that the fact that there wasn't that exodus and not that nobody's going to follow or, or whatever else, but the fact that there wasn't that exodus, I think is tremendously positive. And, and I think, you know, Marcus Harris is going to be really tough to replace because, I think he was a potential all-Big 12 defensive lineman. And yet at the same time, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, he, you know, that that's one guy. And Dejon Terry was a guy who was rotating and might have started at nose tackle, obviously had a lot of upside, but hadn't quite, you know, shown that just yet. And so when you look at those two being the, the absences and the guys that are gone, yes, it stings to some extent, but it's not nearly as damaging as, as maybe what it could have been. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work, 247sports.com. Hear him here Tuesdays on RCST. Kevin, thank you as always, man. Thanks a lot, Nick. Father's Day is coming and the weather is catching heat. Whether you have a dad bod or rocking a six-pack, make sure you and your dad are smelling nice and shaved where it matters most. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawn Mower 4.0 and the Refined Cologne by Manscaped. The brand new Lawn Mower 4.0 and Refined Cologne is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. Manscaped, the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming, just dropped their lawnmower 4.0. I hope you're as excited for this as me because this thing is legit. This fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. After you guys have cleaned balls, clean up your cologne game with the refined cologne from Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. Whether it's a gift for you, your dad, or the men in your life, choose Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls this year. Show your original home some love with Manscaped.